Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. For today's show, I've compiled excerpts from Rainforest Writers Read 2020. These are local writers reading their own work during the Rainforest Festival this fall. It was facilitated and emceed by Oren Pearson. The readings I have collected here are Petersburg-themed. However, there are many more readings, and we will post the full hour and 20 minutes on the library's podcast at www.psglib.org. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started then. Friends and neighbors, hello and welcome to Rainforest Writers Read on this final evening of the 2020 Rainforest Festival. And what a beautiful festival it's been. Sunshine and bright stars at night, local music performances, art and science. Mm. I love this festival. It always deepens my gratitude and appreciation for this corner of the Tongass National Forest, this good and beautiful place. We honor this land, Tlingit Ani, and we honor its traditional stewards. The Rainforest Writers Workshop is delighted to partner with the Rainforest Festival this year to bring you this evening of local literature. We put out a call to the community for local writers to share a short piece of their work this evening and many of you answered that call. So we have a really great lineup here to enjoy together. A great deal of the writing you'll hear tonight first appeared on the page during Rainforest Writers Workshops over the last few years and I wanna take a moment to say thank you to the Petersburg Public Library and John McCabe, who established the library's Art Education Endowment, which provides a home for the Rainforest Writers Workshops, where writers have been able to find their voices and develop craft and take creative risks and noticeably grow our local literary art community, which we celebrate this evening. So we have a nice long lineup, uh, so we'll just get right to it. We can hold our applause to the very end or clap in your living room all the way through, whatever you like. <laughs> uh, at the end, I'll unmute everybody to cheer for those who've read tonight. And we'll have a short intermission halfway through uh, if you're so spellbound that you don't, don't wanna miss a single word of it. But um, so halfway through, we'll have a little intermission. And since you're in your homes already, we can kick back and relax. And I hope you enjoy our, our first reader tonight is Lizzie Thompson. And so I'll go ahead and uh, try to operate the mute and unmute situation here uh, as a heads up to readers. We'll uh, unmute just right before your turn to read. And for those in the audience, um, I'd recommend putting it on speaker view so you can see the speaker rather than this whole glorious gallery of attendees and um, readers in the wings. Um, so I hope you enjoy. I'm so grateful everybody's here. And um, onward. The floor is yours, Lizzie. Thanks, Lauren. My first piece is titled Water. I live in a watery place. My house is on 11 foot pilings, so it rests on a hill a quarter mile from the nearest shore. I walk my dog on gravel and wood paths over the spongy bog we call Muskeg. I'm surrounded by pools of still water each a unique shape reflecting images of its neighbors and the sky. 
Often each plant along the trail is bejeweled in water droplets. They cling to the tip of each spruce needle. They are scattered through the pale green web of a lichen called old man's beard. They pull the grass heads low and dangle along the arc of each stem. I stop and look closely at water droplets and what images they've captured in their lens. The forest upside down and the pale sky nestled in the belly of each drop. I am charmed by the sagging spiderweb's catch of rain. The weather is changeable, but almost always wet and easy to take for granted. We are so rich, so saturated in water until we are not. And the wetland we walk above on piles of gravel and planks of wood reminds us that sponges dry quickly that hundreds of sparkling pools can turn to thick, muddy pits in a few hot days, that the luscious sphagum moss can crunch beneath our boots after a week of full sun, that the muskeg is a fragile community, and that while we may be rich in water, we cannot hold it for long. This summer, the rainfall felt merciless, in fact, set the new record for coldest and wettest summer. Some days I felt rather sick of the rain, of gearing up to go out, of having to bathe my dog after every last walk. And yet the melancholy I feel after a stretch of gray days is preferable to the anxiety of watching my beloved Tongas parched and suffering, dehydrated and fried of color. I look closely at raindrops and thank them. They are gentle and nourishing. A blessing, really. <clears throat> up next, we're gonna call Sunny Rice up to the stage here. Hello, hear me? You're, you're on. <laughs> I've got two poems. Uh, first one is called Whale Fall, which maybe needs a tiny introduction uh, a whale fall is uh, when a whale dies way out at sea and um, falls down to the seabed out where there's very little other life and nutrients. And um, it creates entire ecosystems. Lots of life is uh, adapted just to, just to live off of these whale falls. So this poem is called Whale Fall. They say a whale fall is a miracle. Think of the lives it impacted. Entire ecosystems, they gasp. But I'm still thinking about the drifting down, the slow undulation from side to side, tip to tail, as the storm of neuron fire calms to a twinkle and the spirit releases its suction on each of the cells. It must be painful, mustn't it, to cast all that you were to the depths of the sea? Okay, next we're gonna have Don Cornelius. The floor is yours, Don. I have a couple of poems here. First one is entitled Lawn Care. My parents taught me about lawns, all I should know. A uniform, green and short, trimmed to the margins, just grass, no weeds, no dandelions. I spent hours pulling them, pure and undefiled, as sterile as a th synthetic turf on a miniature golf course. They never talked about buttercups. 
about bees and butterflies, or even the birds I sometimes see spiriting them away towards their nest. So here I sit, surrounded by chaos. Inside I'm torn. Should I do as I had learned to do all those years? Do what it do what had earned me my allowance. Mom and dad are long gone now. Still their voices urge me, urge me off my lawn chair, surrounded by two tall grass filled with buttercups and weeds. But now I hear other voices. See beyond perfection, solitary bees, a great butterfly, a dragonfly, all flitter, flitting from flower to flower, unidentified insects, flying, crawling, scuttling, appearing briefly like minor actors in a play, then disappearing neath a weedy leaf, all depending on me for once not to obey, just once, to let them be, the weeds, the buttercups, and the bees. So instead, I leave the lawnmower in its place and write this poem as I listen to the buzzing in the air, careful not to disturb my summertime friends. Up next, we have Julie Hersey. I'm reading a piece called Learning to Fall. Can you hear me, Oren? Okay. Learning to Fall, and it's dedicated and inspired by my Aunt Roxy Lee. The logs are slick and the moss is loose. I teeter between branches as I pick my way through these blown down spruce. Autumn light glistens through the trees still dripping from the morning rain. I stop and inhale sharply, taking in the smell of cedar and spruce bark, salty kelp on the beach, the curling alder leaves, the bittersweet smell of fall's decay, my favorite season. I shift the heavy canvas bag on my shoulder, full of wild mushrooms, bear spray, and binoculars, moving slowly, careful of my balance. The forest floor is deep with moss, but a fall back here could lead to a twisted ankle or a broken leg, and then I'd be stranded in the forest, alone on the island. I think of my aunt, now turning 90. She showed me how to look for the chanterelles peeking out through the moss, and I remember her scrambling over logs like these, hiking through spiky devil's club and blueberry bushes, telling me stories of her early years in Alaska as the afternoon unfurled. When was the last time? Years before she fell, before the hip surgeries. Was she just my age the last time we hunted together for mushrooms? There is no right way to fall. That is to say, we get older, and that is a falling all its own. I cannot imagine not being strong and limber enough to climb this green slope, yet it comes like loss, like tiredness at the end of the day, like the waning light of winter. The best I can hope for is the grace to say, like my aunt, oh, you brought me mushrooms. I'm so glad, and for that to be enough. The second piece was inspired by a prompt called Folk of All Kinds, and I call it, Who Are the Folk of My Town? Rubber booted, wet wool covered, men and women with bright eyed children on the back deck, talking fish in the grocery store and at aerobics class. Fishermen standing like navigational aides on the corner by the hardware store, while bone tired cannery workers in bright oilskins lurch down Main Street between shifts. Scolding Norwegian matrons teaching by disappointed expectation. Skinny addicts in hoodies walking. Once a woman playing saxophone in the middle of deserted Main Street at midnight, 
the sound threading up through the darkened town like everyone's loneliness let loose at once. Earnest teachers leaning forward towards bored and restless teenagers leaning backwards, working out their moves on the basketball courts in their heads. Older native women driving grandkids to the doctor with accents as soft as rain. Crabby old men at the moose club with all the answers and no audience. Nurses moving towards the emergency room with open hands. City workers at their desk, masking their exasperation. The harbor masters in the rain, walking, endlessly walking, clipboard in hand on the wet docks, counting, checking the hundreds of boats to the tune of grinding hydraulics and rumbling engines. Tiny children in rain gear on the playground with barely a set of teeth between them. And always the dogs everywhere, dogs on owners' laps behind the wheel in the back of trucks asleep on the sidewalk. All these folk perched on this stretch of beach, this line of pilings along the channel, this cluster of light at the edge of wilderness below the wide shoulders of dark mountains, all thinking this is the center of the world. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. On today's show, I've compiled excerpts from Rainforest Writers Read 2020. These are local writers reading their own work during the Rainforest Festival this fall. It was facilitated and emceed by Oren Pearson. The readings I have collected here are Petersburg-themed. However, there are many more readings, and we will post the full hour and 20 minutes on the library's podcast at www.psglib.org. So please check it out. Now back to our show. And next we'll call to the stage, Sue Paulson. Okay. The denizens of the rainforest are many and varied. Bear, deer, squirrels, Republicans, Democrats, what have you. They make their marks on the landscape and on our psyches. Some marks are faint, some wide or deep, and some become landmarks in our geography. Harold Bergman cut a wide swath. Memories of him are embedded in our little part of the Tongass rainforest. Here's a brief memoir of a remarkable man. Harold, as I knew him. New York had E.B. White, we had Harold Bergman. They were the observers, the essayists with the pithy punchlines. They were inspired by the glories of nature and the frailties of man. Their forums and pulpits were the New Yorker and the Petersburg pilot. White reveled in Maine amongst the lobster boats, taking notes and comment to New York to share with the world, while Bergman lived in Kupernoff with a Boston whaler at the float, trekking to Petersburg to spread education with his liberal hand and to publish his school news. It was total immersion in literature with Harold in the seventh grade. Who could forget his impersonation of Raskolnikov, his readings from Saroyan, Thurber, and Dreiser? If Mr. Bergman caught you with a Reader's Digest condensed book, he would throw it out the third story window and make you read the Bible for an hour out of respect for literature. 
He was such a powerful reader. We smelled the fish on Cannery Row, despaired with Copperfield in that boot black factory and exulted with Sandberg in the city of the big shoulders. He probably coached Churchill in public speaking. We ran to class every day because we never knew what would happen next in Bergman's class. We begged him to expand his chest in imitation of a giant penguin, marveled at his imitation of a spawning salmon, dove under our desks when he announced atomic bomb drill. We wept with him at national tragedies and celebrated with him when the satellites shot into space. No one could praise you like Mr. Bergman and no one could blast you as he did either. He strove to inculcate us with respect for our elders. And when William Bergman entered the room, we had to stand. His efforts with the paddle were legendary, but rarely necessary. Every first grader believed the portrait of George Washington in the lower hall was that of Mr. Bergman. It was, as Harold would have said, marvelous to be a teacher when he was principal. He believed in fun in our work. And if things seemed slow, he'd pipe some polka music through the intercom drop in to tell fantastic stories, whip the students into frenzied excitement, and then he would leave. My geography lesson must have been pretty dry one day when a fifth grader complained one too many times. The complaints were rude enough to warrant a trip to the principal, but soon on the intercom, a serious voice informed us, Miss Vile is too tired and bored to go on, so we'll all have to leave early today. We had a relaxing laugh and rushed out into the sun. Every year, Harold published the names of the members of each class under their teacher's names in the newspaper, as is done today. One year, the name Abu Ben Adam appeared at the head of every list. A reference to the poem by Lee Hunt reveals the name was the head, uh, at the head of every list who, of people who loved their fellow men. That is what he strove for in school, that we should love our fellow man no matter how hard it is. He worked on us after he retired from his job as principal. The city of Petersburg felt the shock when Harold disembarked at the North Harbor every Saturday. After oiling the wheels of commerce, Harold for nearly 20 years advanced on the radio station to share his outlook with the KFSK audience. Every Petersburger of a certain age will hear the voice of Bergman when they play the stars and stripes forever. The music illustrated his forthright approach to everything. When KFSK began, Harold was right there and when the use of certain words was banned, Harold said, they've just handed me a list of 10 words I can't say on the radio, and here they are. <laughs> His readings from the Petersburg pilot were bombastic, opinionated, and funny. His clashes with Emily Miriam, dramatic. Exhausted from injecting life and excitement into Lake Wobegon, he would ship out for Kupernoff reclining in the bosom of nature at his Petersburg Creek estate, flailing the croquet mallet to the champagne bottle as Alexander Wolcott did, and dashing off the essays for which he was famous. He battled ignorance, prejudice, and dullness wherever he found it, and left us inspiration to do the same. I wish E.B. White had known him. He made our life richer, taught us to observe the human scene with humor, to appreciate literature and the larger world it illustrates, to watch for the sandhill cranes, and above all, to be kind. Harold Burton. Up next is Chelsea Tremblay. My second piece is forthcoming in the Alaska Women's Speak Sanctuary issue. It's titled, We Belong to Us. We, when a tree splits, does it groan? The release in knowing, belong, Will the glacier remember the dew? The beginning never is. 
Two, can murmuration be broken if it never had a shape? How can absence feel? Us, is there sacrament in the sin who live in the shadows and know flame's true power? Okay, let's see here. Next, it's we're going to invite Mike Schwartz. I'm going to read something that's in contrast to what we've just experienced. Of course, we've had the wettest summer that any of us can remember. And I wrote this in September of 2013. It's September now. We've had the driest summer that anyone can remember, day after day of sunshine, no water in the creeks. I'm at the cabin now looking out on a sunlit valley. My great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my mother witnessed this same scene over and over again. The chair sits unoccupied overlooking the barn creek. My mother stood there years ago, mesmerized by the quiet stream and the humpies that made their way up the clear flow of pristine water. My father woke from a nap, stood up, stretched, and gazed out the window to witness a large black bear walking slowly within feet of my mother's back. She was completely unaware of its presence as she stood spellbound by the scene in front of her. The bear quietly walked by her, ignoring her presence and moved into the creek, where within seconds leaped upon and captured a salmon in his powerful jaws. My mother, startled now, watched as he walked to the other side of the creek, laid down and began tearing the flesh from the carcass. My father, completely in a panic, but unable to do anything about the sequence of events, went to her and held her in his arms as they both realized how fortunate she was. The creek now is without fish. They lay by the thousands schooled in the pool at Hoagie's Hole waiting for the rain. The stream is too warm and without water, the salmon sense they will suffocate and die without enough oxygen. The grass is turning now from a vibrant green to a lovely gold. The millions upon millions of tiny golden stems dance in the wind as the sun reflects off their surfaces. It's a sea of splendor, waiting patiently for the rain and the movement of fish to where they must be in order to carry out their circle of life. The stream glistens in the morning sun and waits for the arrival of the pinks to deposit their eggs in the sand beneath the surface of the quiet running water. The trout swim amongst the thousands of humpies, patiently waiting too their migration into a spawning area where they, the trout, can feed on eggs that escape. The cycle of summer is beginning its transition into fall. The silvers have arrived and show themselves leaping into the air on the incoming tides, making themselves known. They're silver bright, sea life still clinging to their skin. They are succulent now and will last through the winter once they pass through the smokehouse. Fortunately, most of them will escape the hook and the line and make their way up the main creek to complete their cycle, guaranteeing the world that there will be more. We spend the day and night here immersed in a pageantry of grace and wonder at the splendor of this place and are so thankful to be a small part of it. It reminds us of our insignificance and the small role we play here 
Our goal in all of this should be to make sure it remains the same for the generations to come. They too should be able to feel the peace and solitude of this most spiritual place where life is simple and the proof of the great spirit is all around us, giving us hope for those who are to follow. The wind has stopped. The grass is quiet now. An eagle soars overhead. The small creek sings its song to us. We are at peace in this most, most special place. We wait now with the fish and the bears for the rain to come. And now, Oren Pearson. This piece I call Post Office. Many ancient communities arranged their domiciles around a central common space. It was self-evident that when people share common spaces every day, they see each other and care about each other. The Roman Empire understood this and developed the Roman colonial grid to render newly colonized lands manageable from afar. The colonial grid broke the circle of homes pointed people away from each other. Law and order, right angles, tall fences, a colonization format so successful it was broadly adopted and persists here in our very own empire. It remains true that people who don't see each other can forget to care much about each other. That's why I love my town's post office. Here in rural, small-town Alaska, we don't have postal mail home delivery. Everyone goes to the post office to get their mail, no matter their class or address, race or creed. Without meaning to, we have drawn a circle onto the colonial grid, and we see each other's faces there. It's one of the few truly common places we have holding us together. The Postmaster General's recent changes have been making things harder for my local post office. Thanks to staffing shortages, we only have two hours each afternoon to pick up packages. The line to the counter stretches out the back door and down the sidewalk sometimes. Folks waiting try to socially distance, though half or fewer wear masks, and the mood can be tense in that long line. But being there together Neighbor and stranger side by side, sharing time in our most common place, I feel hopeful. Well, that's smart, says Cheryl from the store, nodding at the book I'm reading in line. I smile at her. She says maybe she'll bring a book next time too. Cheryl and I might not see eye to eye on very much, but here we are, eye to eye in the post office. Thank you for joining us. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org. There will also be a link to the library's website at kfsk.org. And like I mentioned earlier, this was only about a third of the readings that were done. And so we will post the full hour and 20 minutes of readings on the library's podcast. Uh, thank you to Oren Pearson for 
not just facilitating this program, but for holding such fabulous rainforest writer workshops to help many local writers develop their craft, and um, to the Rainforest Festival for hosting that event. Thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible. <laughs>